At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, good day, good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Whatever time it is by you, welcome to Line Drive Radio. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island in New York. Home of the Mets season, the Bronx Bombers. And as always, it's time to bring on my LDR teammate from the great city of Chicago. Home of the Cubbies and them White Sox. Mr. Tab, Bam, Tab, what's going on, my friend? And tell me. Please tell all of us what the hell's going down in Chi-Town. Uh, you have two first-place teams. I have two third-place teams. Uh, it seems to be what we're working with right now. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that the biggest buzz in this town is, uh, at least on the baseball diamond right now, is the fairly sudden departure of Tony La Russa, uh, earlier this week. He... Uh, had his usual pregame scrum, had his pregame meeting with the team, chatted on the field with the GM, went in the clubhouse for a bit, and then the team announced that uh, he was meeting with some doctors and wasn't going to be uh, managing that night. Miguel Cairo was going to uh, jump into the, the uh, captain's seat for an evening, uh, and now uh, we are living in a world where Larusa is returning to Arizona, where he spends most of his off-season time uh, to chat with his personal physicians uh, about an undisclosed health concern, uh, and he's going to be away from the White Sox indefinitely uh, to deal with that while the team sits four games back of uh, the Cleveland Guardians and three back of the Minnesota Twinkies in the Central Division. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, it's fascinating. And then the White Sox go out and win two in a row uh, with Cairo calling the shots here. So uh, interesting times in Chicago. Luis Robert uh, is still missing in action. He had hand issues, uh, and then he actually left the team to be uh, around for the birth of a child. Uh, and Eloy Jimenez comes out of a game with some leg fatigue, uncomfortable leg issues, whatnot. So, I mean, it, look, the White Sox have been a soap opera this entire season. And this, uh, I'm not sure if it's a curveball or if I want to call it a Dylan C. Slider 
that Larusa's health has thrown us uh, has just added to the uh, the ongoing head scratching with the White Sox this year because they've been almost impossible to to get a a finger on the pulse of. I mean, look, they're three games back in Minnesota, but they've almost got the inverse of the uh, goal differential goal run differential this year, uh, hockey on the brain there. Uh, with Minnesota's plus 38, the White Sox are minus 37. And even with the, the, the two wins with Miguel Cairo calling the shots, the Sox are three and seven in their last 10, while Minnesota's five and five and Cleveland's four and six. So again, mediocrity wins the day. That enti- they've got the worst record in their last 10 in the whole American League Central. Kansas City's four and six and Detroit's five and five. And I mean, Detroit's just a complete clown show right now. They're 21 and 43 at home or at, away from home. They're 29 and 38 at home uh, in one of the beautiful ballparks, Comerica up in Detroit. But the LaRusa thing, obviously I think Paul, we both help that his, his health is going to be good and that this isn't a, a significant issue, a life changing issue, but let's be real. We, we've talked about it all year. He's not a young kid, Right. He and Dusty Baker are the senior gentlemen uh, in the managerial circuit this season. And when you walk away from the team at this stage in the season, given where it is just on the calendar, it's, it's tough to, to wrap your head around. But when you wrap it in the context of what the season has been for the White Sox and undoubtedly the stress that underperforming has put on him and everyone else in that clubhouse, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really tough spot for La Russa and the organization to deal with. So uh, intriguing times on the south side of Chicago, to be sure. No, there's no doubt about it. It's, um, you know, you wish Tony the best. I mean, we, 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 everybody's been having fun pot shots with Tony here. Um, you know, it started when he got the job. And, you know, uh, this season has been interesting, to say the least. You know, as a fan base here, you know, looking at the you know the trajectory here of what's going on with the with the Sox. You know, I mean, it, there's there's still a little bit of baseball here left. They get in playoffs here, and whether Tony's uh, behind the bench or not, I think when you get to the end of the season, number one, we hope we have a healthy uh, Tony Larusa Tony Larusa going forward, no matter what. Um, that's the most important thing. Uh, but on the business side of things, as far as baseball is concerned, you know, the White Sox here too. Um, how this season's going to be looked back on, how these two seasons, you know, and, and just talk, throwing this back to you, Tab, as far as just the, uh, you know, talking about baseball here and this team, uh, you know, their lineup, their professionals here, their paid stars, their prospects, everything else. And in this mediocre, mediocre division here, you know, how they're going to turn the page one way or the other. You know, you get into the playoffs here, uh, maybe Tony being away from the team and, and getting healthy. Um, you're going to have to sit back here and watch how this team plays out the rest of the way in terms of the baseball aspect of it. I don't think there's any way we can deny this, right? Because let's say if you got a, a healthy Tony La Russa, for the most part, everybody's like, come on, get dump this guy, fire this guy already. It's not working. Let's, mo- let's move on. Um, doesn't matter right now where they are in the season. Just, just Let's just change things up because Tony's not the answer. It's not working out. So here you go. Due to a health issue, Tony now is out of the picture here. How are the White Sox going to perform? And if it's if it trends in a better way, 
it's just a kind of a whole weird situation to kind of look at. So, you know, and you don't want to look at it in a way because you've got a guy here that has to go get himself better. But if this team ends up playing better without him, that's the conundrum I'm kind of throwing at you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, and look, I, I, it, it's hard to throw shade at the guy like we have all year given his health situation, but... Uh, you know, I, I partially tongue in cheek tweeted uh, that the the White Sox season is at has a one and two count. Are the White Sox telling him to take a walk? Um, which, of course, is a, a joke at the expense of Larusa multiple times this year, giving a guy a free pass when he had two strikes on him at the plate to the head scratch, eyebrow raise, eye roll. Uh, you know, four-letter word-inducing from the bleachers uh, commentary from White Sox fans uh, and television analysts and everybody else. I would not be shocked at all if the White Sox found a little bit of a groove here with Larusa off the bench. Um, look, Cairo's a younger guy. He played the game for you know quite some time. Uh, Latino guy with a heavily, heavily Latino team um, who might just do a better job of connecting some things. And I think the malaise of that team being one game under 500 and just searching for it really for a year and a half. And health has been a huge problem, not just for LaRusse at this immediate moment, but just the massive injuries that they've dealt with over the last couple of years to really significant pieces of, of the puzzle. Um, you know, even with Robert out of the lineup, even with Jimenez being a question mark right now with the legs and Grandal coming back again from another injury, um, you know, I, I, this screams, and we talk about this with, with hockey, you know, in the NFL, you don't really see head coaching moves during the season as often just because of the nature of the 17 game schedule and the fact that every game means so much. Um, but when you talk about hockey, basketball, baseball, with the longer seasons, with the day-to-day grind, um, you see many times with a team that's kind of struggling to find itself that a different voice, even if it's the same system, same strategy, same approach, um, the different voice sometimes is just the right breath of fresh air. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Cairo found some groove here uh, and the team flipped the script a little bit. And I think now that it's September, and today is obviously the 2nd of September, cue the earth, wind, and fire. Um, I, I think that the sense of urgency is absolutely front and center now where – Again, mediocre division, Cleveland, Minnesota, doing everything in their power to allow the White Sox to stay relevant in this thing, even though they've done everything in their power not to. I mean, look, their 65 wins would be one ahead of Boston for dead last in the East. Uh, and they'd be, ahead, they'd be in third place in the West, but Seattle's 73 would, wins would be five clear of anyone in the Central, and they're in second place in the West. This is the worst division in baseball. By far, uh, the 68 wins that Cleveland has would be in third in the National League Central, which is 
the second worst division in baseball. And Milwaukee's at 69, which is nice, pun intended here. But, uh, you know, they're going the wrong direction, too. The American League Central's been bad all year. Uh, Cleveland and Minnesota have allowed the White Sox to hang around. And you've kind of been waiting for, I think everyone in baseball has been waiting for the White Sox to say, okay, go time and flip that script and, and find the switch, whatever you want to call it and go for it. And maybe Cairo is just the right voice. And by right voice, I mean a different voice to get this team to, I, I don't want to say care a little bit more, but have a little more daily intensity. And look, you've heard guys in that room. You've heard guys like Johnny Cueto and Lance Lynn who've been around this game for a long time, guys in their mid-30s, saying, boys, we gotta, we got to have some intestinal fortitude here. we got, we got to have some, some compete. And maybe just having a, someone else sitting in that, that chair on the top step being the guy is what it takes for them to say, look, it's September, go time, let's, let's buckle in, strap it down, whatever you want to say, and get after it. And, you know, right now when you look at that division, they've won their last two. The two games in front of them have losses, and the two behind them have losses for their last uh, game to show for it. So it's wide open for the White Sox to get their crap together and figure it out, Paul. They just need to do it. And at the end of the game, we've talked about this with, Every single manager we talk about, right? We've talked about it in Milwaukee with Craig Council and the fact that the players have really gone the wrong direction since the Hater trade. Hater himself has gone the wrong direction since getting to San Diego. We talked about it from the jump in our first show of this season with Aaron Boone with your pinstripes, right? Mm -hmm. The manager puts the lineup card out, but it's the guys that actually stand in the box or put, you know, toe the rubber that actually have to go get it done on a daily basis. Aaron Boone is not responsible for Glaber Torres having one hit since, you know, whatever, the 1st of August. Aaron Boone is not responsible for Aaron Judge being one of the strong MVP candidates in the American League. Um, you know, Scott Service is not responsible for Julio Rodriguez being the guy. Uh, Brandon Hyde didn't make the decision. He might, he might have said, God, please, 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 please. When they talked about bringing up Adley Rushman and some and Gunnar Henderson and some of these other young guys that are making a huge impact in Baltimore, all they do is look at the names that they have available, fill out a lineup sheet with the guys that they think are going to give them the best chance to win that day. And in baseball, you obviously have you know off days that you want to give guys a breather and what else. But you know you're not responsible for the 25 to 30 names that you're going to have to play with. You're responsible for putting guys in a position to succeed and then them actually succeeding. And so while Tony La Russa, many could argue, I've done it a lot this year, that Tony La Russa, his roster construction has left a lot to be desired. His, his lineup versatility has, has been head-scratching. You've questioned a lot of what he's done. But he's only as good as the guys that he has available every day. And then what he does with those guys, you know, has an impact on the on the flow of the game, when he pinch runs, when he pinch hits, when he goes to the bullpen, whatever else. He's only as good as the guys that go out there every day. But a change in the voice that's getting these guys ready to go before they take the field every day can help. And I, I, I would not be surprised at all if Miguel Cairo 
uh, found a little something here, and the White Sox made that division a little more interesting here in the next three to five weeks. But at the end of the day, the players have to be healthy, and they got to go out there and do their jobs. And the problem for the White Sox is that they haven't been able to stay healthy, and the guys that they put in the lineup two more, too many times this year have not done the job asked of them. So we shall see. But, uh, but that division is going to be some – it's really the one division at this point that you actually have to worry about. I think we're, we're really more focused, Paul, on the wild card races at this point. Atlanta's three back of the Mets. Um, I think both of them get into the playoffs. Obviously, 81 wins for the Braves, eight clear of Philadelphia and San Diego, five clear of the Central Division leading Cardinals. They're going to get in. And so I think that they are as much jockeying for position and staying healthy uh, as they are trying to chase down the Mets and try and get that second, you know, division crown by. But no other division in baseball is within six games. Tampa's closed to within six of your pinstripes. Uh, and Toronto's eight back after the Cubs gave them fits this week. You're welcome. Uh, Seattle's 11 back. The uh, Milwaukee's fallen to six and a half back of St. Louis. And San Diego, who are right in the thick of the wild card race, are 18 back of the Dodgers, whose run differential is twice that of the second-best run differential in the National League, which is Atlanta at 141. The Dodgers are at plus 284. So, really, you've got one division that I think is interesting right now, and the reason that the American League Central is so interesting is because you're only getting one team into the playoffs out of that division, uh, just because Seattle, Tampa, and Toronto, and even Baltimore. Baltimore would be in first place in the Central with 69 uh, wins right now. They'd be a half-game clear at Cleveland. You've only got one division where there's really a a divisional battle to decide things. And uh, and it's the American League Central and the White Sox on paper are the best team in that division, but they haven't been far from it all year. So now we sit back and watch it. You know, again, Paul, echo what you said. We both hope that Tony La Russa's health uh, is something that isn't a a significant issue. but the White Sox need to worry about what they can control on the field, and they need to go do it. And it is September, so you don't have time to sort things out anymore. you got to go get it done. And right now they're, they've won their last two, so at least briefly they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, and, you know, I guess it really comes down to a division there. I mean, look, it's all there for them. They have a very, very weird schedule coming up in September, the White Sox. It's, uh, it's just – it's, it's – um... You know, you can look at some of the other teams here as far as, you know, I mean, when you look up and down as far as the AL you know, leaders here and the uh, NL uh, leaders, they're pretty much kind of fixed there. There's not going to be too much of a change here just in terms of, uh, you know, as far as teams not making the playoffs, you, you pretty much know who's going to get in. Um, but as far as, you know, and, and, and most of these teams have these kind of really, we, we, we talked about it last week as far as direction, uh, the schedules, what they've got laid up, and basically, you know, it's, it's, it's basically in the hands of, um, you know, the teams that are in the positions right now. If they just go out and win baseball, they'll be in, they'll be fine. But when you look, like I said, you bring up this division here and where the White Sox are out too. I mean, you just, you know, you got to go win baseball games and – Sometimes maybe this is it. You know, again, no disrespect to Tony Larusa, get healthy and everything else. And we're just strictly talking about the team, the lineup, baseball, what they have to do here. There's still a job. They're still getting paid. They got to show up to the ballpark here and they got to win baseball games and they got to try and get a playoff spot. And the Chicago White Sox, because of the Guardians there, 
and and the rest of the Central there, they can they can still possibly do this. So it will. It will be interesting to see how the team responds. And I'm just like I said, jumping forward to then, you know, does does Tony eventually say, you know what, man, this has been a little tough for me. This is you know, I'm, 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 maybe it's more important that I just kind of stay home, get healthy, and live out my days here with my wife and my family, and kind of just go that route. And then the Chicago White Sox organization now. You know, who knows, Tab, and again, I'm not being disrespectful, but I have to say one way or the other, as far as the business of baseball, they're probably going to be collectively be able to exhale here and just kind of move forward without Tony. Yeah, and again, it feels very trivial when you put things this way, but when the first question that the media asks at the at the managerial scrum every day whether it be with the media relations people or Cairo or anyone else from the organization when when your first question is any update on Tony you know that's enough of a distraction from the what the hell is going on in the field storyline that it gives them a little bit of a breather to deal with the baseball and answer questions about something else mm-hmm. um, and uh, you might not agree with the subject matter, but one of the things that I, I still think Tony LaRusso uh, could have learned from what Ozzie Guillen did in 2005 with a White Sox team that, for me, on paper, is the worst World Series champion of the last 40 years. <laughs> um, and I say that respectfully because you're a World Series champion, but you look at their lineup, and outside of Canerco and Die, you're kind of like, Really? I mean, their pitching, look, their pitching staff was, was amazing. Uh, and the fact that their pitchers did what they did in that playoff run was, may, may never be matched. And when you stack up the, the names, Mark Burley, John Garland, Jose Contreras against Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, you're like, well, I'm sure Atlanta would have done that, but they didn't. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what makes that White Sox team so special, even if ESPN refuses to acknowledge that they ever existed when they make their graphics. Um, <laughs> But it seemed like every time somebody was slumping, every time somebody would ask him, Ozzy, a question about Joe Creedy's got one hit this month or Aaron Rowan is struggling or Tadahito Aguchi hasn't done anything recently. Uh, you know, he, it, it seemed like almost on cue, Ozzy would pick a fight with somebody in the media. He, he, he'd, he'd go off, you know, Jay Mariotti, who thankfully has disappeared from the sports media landscape because he's a hot pile of trash, but you know, he was in Chicago at that point and he was one of the columnists that would go line for line with Ozzy and he'd call Ozzy out and Ozzy would call him out to his face in in the room, right? If he ever showed up, but you know, Ozzy would always find a way to do something ridiculous to deflect the attention from what was going on on the field. And by the time that blew over, Creedy would go three for five or three for six in a couple games, and you wouldn't remember that he was slumping. Or Rowan would go make a great catch and give you a double in the gap, and you wouldn't ask about his struggles at the plate again. So I, I feel like there, there are ways to give, uh, give a mental break to the same question every day about why do you suck. <laughs> uh, it's not that, obviously not in those words and not that directly, but if, I'm sure if you're in the room, it feels like the question every day for the White Sox has been, why do you suck? Collectively, <laughs> individually, whatever. 
And so, and you know, having something for the media to focus on, the fans to talk about, other than the fact that they're a game under 500 and four games back of a team that isn't that great in Cleveland. Um, you know, it, it, maybe it's just a little, you know, an inability to get your head above water a little bit and, and, and catch your breath and let the media and everybody else focus on something other than your performance on the field. So, again, it, that feels massively trivial with Tony being away from the team to deal with health issues. We hope that he recovers and, and whatever the future holds, um, you know, wish him the best with that. But this White Sox team needed something to, to change the narrative a little bit. And maybe the La Russa health scare is just what they needed. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. But they, they've got, like you said, their schedule's kind of a, a mess going forward. Uh, but you're right. They've got games to play on the field. They sure need to be better than three under 500 at home. Uh, but right now, uh, ESPN has them with a 13.7% chance of making the playoffs, which is barely better than the Baltimore Orioles, who I think the Blue Jays need to be very mindful of because they're only a game and a half back of the Blue Jays right now. And I think Baltimore's a lot more intriguing with some of the young studs that they got coming up. And Gunnar Henderson's been fun to watch. And Adley Rushman is going to certainly steal some votes from Julio Rodriguez for the rookie of the year. Um, but you got games in front of you. You got four or five weeks to figure it out. And that's it. So it's September. It's go time. And I think the White Sox know that. And we'll see how they respond here over a much larger sample size than two games. Because uh, right now they've won two in a row with Cairo calling the shots. We need more than two games to, to see if this is something that's working. But so far, so good, I guess. All right. Well, we'll see how it uh, plays out. and It'll be something uh, definitely to take note of because I think, you know, like I said, collectively, and just to put a bow on here on the Sox here, the White Sox, is that, you know, we, we a lot of people didn't want Tony behind the bench anymore. So now he's not behind the bench. And now, like I said, we wish him the best health. But now you're going to see, here's your answer. So it's almost like it's almost like Tony stepping out going, okay, you're not happy with the way he's been going? I'll tell you what, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go back to Arizona. I'm going to watch some Diamondback baseball and check out the prospects out there. And you guys go do what you do, and now you get a taste to see how the team will play without me. And we go from there. So. Is the grass actually greener? Exactly. And, and we'll find out here in, in the interim, you know, TBD on when – if and when Larusa comes back, but we will find out if the grass is indeed greener. So, all right. So Tim, it will be interesting. What else would you like to talk about? Do you want to talk about the San Francisco Giants losing seven in a row? No, I actually have a bone <laughs> to pick with you right Uh-oh. now. Uh oh. Uh oh. You sure you don't uh, want to talk about the Giants losing seven in a row? Uh, hard pass. Okay. Um, though, look, I I I think that. What they I, we talked about it before the season that I thought last year was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, and uh, and that that veteran core was going to crash back to earth a little bit. They've crashed a heck of a lot more back to earth this year, seven games under five hundred, uh, which is funny that they're sixty one and sixty eight. They've lost seven in a row, and we're talking about them crashing back to earth when you know they'd be, you know chasing the White Sox. Um, <laughs> but 
the the Giants are a team that it carries a lot of prestige around the game, and you, they've never you been. Want to talk about the Yankees? No, here, here's where we're going. All right, Paul. And it's not about the Yankees losing uh, their last game or being six and four, and Tampa climbing within six uh, with an eight and two heater in their last ten. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I still agree with you. I think that it, it's uncomfortable. We, we kind of talked about can one of the teams in that division get within a touchdown at the start of September? Tampa's done that. Um, I still think the Yankees are the team to beat in that division. I, don't, I, I think the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. Their record would certainly seem to indicate that. But here, here's the question that I want to put to is you this as the a bone? Yankee. Is this the bone you're going to pick with me? This is the bone that I'm going to pick. This is the, the, the question that I'm going to give to you. Paul Cuthbert, here on Line Drive Radio. The Los Angeles Angels are 17 games under 500. They are 27 games back of the Houston Astros in the West. The New York Yankees are 27 games over 500 and have a six-game lead in the American League East. Aaron Judge has 20 home runs more than anyone else in the American League right now. But is Aaron Judge the American League's MVP this year, or is Shohei Otani going to repeat? No. And I, I ask you that question here. Because little, little, little. Shohei hit a big home run the other night. Now he's back in the, the consideration. He's been off the news. He's been off the headline charts for, for months now. Well, he, he, let, let, let me give you some, some context for the question here. Shohei Otani has more home runs right now than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who was the runner-up last year in the American League. He also has a lower ERA than Corbin Burns, who won the Cy Young in the National League last year. He has 100, as of uh, his last start, Shoy has 176 strikeouts as a pitcher this year and 30 home runs. To put that in historical context, the most strikeouts by a pitcher in a season in which he hit 30 home runs, 176 is the most ever. Last year, Shohei had 156, which was the most ever before now. Before that, the most strikeouts as a pitcher in a season in which he hit 30 home runs was three by Babe Ruth in 1930 and 1921. So I, I, you're right. You know what? They're, they're, they're not a relevant team necessarily. Uh, certainly not in the playoff race. They're not going to do that. Obviously, the team's now for sale, so the, the Shohei trade rumors are going to crop up, but look, Shohei Otani has 30 home runs and 82 runs batted in and an 888 OPS as a batter. He has... He leads that pitching staff with 128 innings pitched. And though an 11-8 and eight record isn't going to blow anybody away, we've talked about the diminished value of wins as a pitcher. He's got 13 quality starts and 22 appearances this year. He's got a 2.67 ERA, a whip that's barely over one, and he's got a strikeout-to-walk ratio, 176 to 33. He's a 4.3 war player as a pitcher alone and a three-war player as a batter alone. So as a Yankee fan, should we be recognizing Shohei 
as a bona fide repeat MVP candidate, or is it a judge? It's a lock. Move on. Oh no! I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, if Shohei gets MVP and he deserves it, I'm all for it. To be honest with you, as a Yankee fan, we have bigger issues to be concerned about. Whether or not uh, much much more important uh, priorities, uh, whether or not Aaron Judge is going to be considered for the MVP this year, or whether he wins or not, uh, it's an individual award. Uh, so if Judge gets it, uh, great. It's going to help him out with his uh, contract negotiations at the end of the season. Oh, boy, did he ever win betting on himself. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, Shohei here, I mean, again, he's on a losing team. So, again, it's an in- individual thing. The guy goes out there. He's, look, I mean, we love Shohei. He's phenomenal. And he had a great moment against the Yankees the other night, too. And it's it's all good stuff. And, I mean, you know, so you, you're not going to really get any major argument from me because I'm going to tell you right now, I, I don't care as far as the MVP is concerned, whether it's Shohei or Judge. I mean, Judge is having a great season. But, you know, as far as the Yankees concerned, there's just there's some big, bigger issues right now. I mean, I had talked about two weeks ago about the Yankees having to make other teams fear them. And they have failed at turning that thing around here these last couple of weeks. Um, and now, for the first time, you're starting to see the cracks in some of the, you know, major guys who, who you know, not only like national or, or the local coverage here, but you can see even the diehardest of fans are beginning to start grabbing the face here and getting a little concerned. Now, I said it's it's very good for the Yankees to have the heat on them. Uh, they have not found enough water to put some of the fire out here. And, uh, you know, these next 10 games uh, that are facing them here are just, you know, huge. It could, it could really be the, you know, the tortoise and the rabbit here. <laughs> and the rabbit, uh, you know, it's called the Tampa Bay Rays here, and it could really, uh, you know, it could t- it turn things around here. Um, so, yeah, look, as far as the MVP thing, you know, yeah, look, I, there's, there's, there's a lot of guys out there you know, playing great baseball this year as individuals. But I'm with you on Shohei, and, you know, like I said, I, I, I hate to let you down on this, but, you know, as a Yankee fan, I I don't care. If 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 Judge gets the MVP and we have at least uh, somewhat of a winning season here regarding the playoffs, getting through a round here. But at this point right now, the Yankees are just in a – they're in a big heap here of trying to figure what the hell they're going to do because – even though they had that nice little four or five game uh, win streak there with the Mets, man, they have just really struggled here, um, and it's 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 kind of concerning in terms of what's going on. You know, in terms of losing to Oakland, losing a couple games to L.A., uh, the Angels here, and um, so so here, here I'm going to throw it back at you here and with, with the judge conversation because you brought up the money component. When I think back, you know, over my lifetime, which, uh, which goes back to 1980, uh, and look at some of the best seasons that players have had statistically in the MVP conversation. So really we're focused here on bats because, you know, with the exception of, you know, Verlander, Kershaw, you haven't had that many pitchers really Maddox, Pedro, I think 
it, very rarely does a pitcher creep into the actual MVP conversation because most of the writers view the Cy Young as the MVP for pitchers, and they kind of separate the two, right? And that's what makes Shohei such a compelling conversation because he does both. Mm -hmm. So he, he straddles that line. But when we look back at some of the best seasons that didn't win an MVP, uh, you know, obviously a, a couple with Barry Bonds come to mind. Uh, Frank Thomas, you know, I think a lot of people believe that Jason Giambi owes him the 2000 MVP uh, when he had 43 homers and 143 runs batted in and was the runner up, I think, 97 for Frank Thomas when he ended up third in the MVP voting, even though he led the league with a 347 average. 1067 OPS, 35 jacks and 125 knocked in. You know, those come to mind when you look back at obviously the home run race between McGuire and Sosa. You know, when McGuire set the home run record was 70 back in 1998. Uh, Sammy Sosa was the MVP. He was the runner up at 70 and 147. And then he finished fifth, McGuire did, in the MVP voting. In 99, when he led the league with 65 homers and 147 runs batted in, you know, looking at where Judge is headed here, he's got 51 and 113 as we enter the 2nd of September. It's very realistic that 60 and 130 could happen for him, Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the big question with where they're at and how they're playing is, and the way that some of the guys in that lineup have struggled around him, specifically Donaldson, Torres, um, how many more good pitches he gets to hit uh, this year? But if he ends up, let's say one, let's say sixty and one thirty, Judge could have one of those seasons that easily is in that top five to seven conversation in the last forty years of the best seasons that doesn't get him an MVP award. Yeah, and and the the question that I bring off of that context is. Would an MVP help or would a runner-up create enough conversation about his value that even a runner-up would help his contract negotiations with the New York Yankees and, not, and other clubs if he decides to go to market and Cashman doesn't give him what he wants? You know, which, which situation makes Aaron Judge more money at the end of the day? Or do you believe as he kind of led into this conversation about the American League MVP, that the Yankees are bigger fish to fry at this point in the year, that a World Series championship negates either endgame for Aaron Judge in the MVP conversation, or would an MVP win or a runner-up actually help make his case when he gets to the negotiating table with Brian Cashman and other GMs at some point this winter? And do you think writers will, will vote for him knowing that it could help his contract situation? I think at the end of the day, I think the writers will vote for him. I think, I think he'll get it. I think he will win the MVP. As far as the Yankees and his situation there. See, Aaron Judge, there's... The kid is, and he's thirty. You know, he's thirty years old here, and you know you're gonna you're gonna be on the other side of thirty here as far as the next whatever how long he plays. Was it five, six? You know, how many? 
when you talk about a kid at 30 years old, you know, uh, is five years, six years as far as baseball lifetime, what's Aaron Judge going to give you here uh, over the next few years? I think he's a different ball player than he was the last couple of years, okay, to bring it where he is and, and, and how he's having this MVP season. So there's the Yankees on this track who've, who've had a – They've had a fantastic first half of the year here, and they're struggling in the second half. Aaron Judge has pretty much been consistent all the way through. So Aaron Judge is going to be Aaron Judge, and then Aaron Judge is going to, you know, lick his chops one way or the other um, at the end of the year. Aaron Judge is a bigger personality. Aaron Judge is a great—he's got great star power. He's a incredibly professional baseball player as far as how he handles— uh, interviews, how he handles himself off the field. He is loved by Yankee fans out here. It would be crushing if he's not re-signed here. And he doesn't owe the fans anything here, you know. And, uh, you know, I certainly, like I said, I, I want him to stay here because I think he's just, he's just, as far as a Yankee player, he involves just what the pinstripes are. And he goes out there and he works. Now, you know, you talk about the paper tiger thing. You know, the thing that's always going to be against Aaron Judge is, is playoff baseball. So let's say, that's, let's, let's say the Yankees get into the playoffs here, and if, if Judge goes down in flames uh, and doesn't produce, or, again, you take it on the uh, individual side, and this is what's been happening, right? Judge is hitting a lot of solo home runs. So his support cast is just not helping him out. So you get into the playoffs here, and... If he's hitting solo, uh, you know, shots on, um, you know, in the playoff games, that's going to help him out as a as a as an individual. And then the Yankees either they get bounced out of the playoffs here, and, and the season comes to an end. And then you're going to have again, Aaron Judge is going to be fine. They go straight through the end of the season, whether he gets 60 home runs, 61, whatever the heck it is. Uh, and then he's just going to sit back, and then this is just going to be this whole dramatic thing as far as the Yankees, and and the financial part of this. Because the, the Yankees are either going to turn this thing around. I mean, they're, they're bringing up another prospect here today. They're, they're, they're trying everything. Aaron Boone is just throwing everything against the wall here. And if these guys don't figure this out here over the next two weeks, it, it's, it, they're going to be golfing before everybody else. And that's just the way it is. And then the Yankees, like I said, is for Aaron Judge is going to be yeah, all right, let's see. let's either give him a ton of money and try and keep him a Yankee, or they've got to look at the organization here going forward, the pieces that they have, and what they're going to do. Now, i got to tell you, a couple of these young kids that have come up here, Cabrera's, the kid they're bringing up here today, uh, the shortstop here that's coming in. Um, you know, a couple, a couple of young guys that they're looking at, even a guy like Herman, who's been pitching pretty well here too. The Yankees have a, they seem to have a potential here for a, a, a some good young prospects where they won't they won't need a, a Donaldson. Uh, maybe Connor Falef is on the on the short, short leash too. Um, Gleyber Torres, you know this team could drastically change next year, and you know where the money is and everything else. And and I'm sorry for rambling on here too. I'm just trying to put it all in perspective because it's there's two parallels going on here. Aaron Judge is going to uh, finish this season one way or the other. Uh, you know if he gets the MVP, great. How it affects him one way or the other as far as what kind of contract he gets, where he ends up staying, what the Yankees do, uh, that's an issue. 
uh, th- that's going to be handled differently. You know, Aaron Judge is the individual. Great. You had a great regular season. MVP. You broke the records. You got all the home runs and everything. But here you are in the playoffs, and you, you're you not producing, and you're out. And you're done. The Yankees lose. And then, you know, the season's over. Uh, and does that affect Judge more, um, you know, going next year? It's so hard, I think, Tab, as far as, you know, let's just take hockey as an analogy here. Um Guys will bring in guys at the trade deadline, or you'll have certain players that, you know, you can play an 82-game season uh, for the NHL, and, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to produce so much. But when you produce in the playoffs, and you get, you're going to get guys that just turn series around and, and um, key components of winning a championship team. In baseball, does a guy like Aaron Judge, is he going to fill your seats as far as, you know, putting people in the stands? Because he's just really, he's the home run guy. That's really what Aaron Judge is. So he's a home run guy for the Yanks, and he's a home run guy for any team that he ends up going to. So, but on the, on the playoff side of things, you know, Judge just really doesn't have a really good good stats there. So where's the, where's the balance? What does a GM do? What does a team do? So it's one thing to get Aaron Judge the player, but I think as a team or as an organization giving a boatload of money to a guy like Aaron Judge if it's the Yankees and then you got a you got bigger issues that you got to take care of and then putting Aaron Judge on on another team uh, does it gut the rest of your team because i think everybody kind of knows what the kind of player Aaron Judge is he can hit a lot of home runs he hasn't done much in the playoffs in the postseason so you know there's the there's the balance and that's where, you know, you're going to have to watch, you know, how these playoffs run out, and you're going to see the stars. And, you know, Aaron Judge and these Yankees, they got to be stars here, though, the next couple of weeks. Or, man, this 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 season is just slowly like a photograph fading. <laughs> yeah. And there you go, man. So it's a long-winded uh, answer to your your question there. Because I think as an individual, Judge is going to be all right one way as far as the money and finishing out this season. And whether the Yankees, you know, re-sign him right now. I I think a lot of fans right now, like I'm sure you can hear it in my voice, there's just this, there's a whole other bigger disappointment going on with this team right now other than the fact of how Aaron Judge is going to either be MVP, break, you know, Roger Maris' record here. Um, it's, It's almost like none of that will matter if the Yankees don't. Number one, if they lose first place in division, and or if they go out in the first round, it's like every I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you straight to your face, Tab. Me and all the diehard Yankee fans will be like, you'll be like, hey man, what about Aaron Judge? And we'll be like, what? Aaron, we just our season went in the tank. We're out of the playoffs. We didn't win the World Series. Who cares about Aaron Judge right now? So right. that's that's how I'll throw it back. Well, to and you. it's interesting when you put it in that context too, because I think. You know, ESPN ran the terrific documentary series on Derek Jeter this summer. And you got a very intimate look at his killer instinct and the very Jordan-esque way that he approached the game. Um, and I was struck at the in the first episode when they talk about him coming up and not being on the active roster, but watching that series against Seattle that was Don Mattingly's farewell. Mm-hmm. And again, being our ages, when you consider the legacies of Don Mattingly and Derek Jeter in New York, and I think that that's kind of the 
intersection in the road where Aaron Judge's career is headed right now, mm-hmm. right? Where Don Mattingly, I think a lot of people can rightfully argue, should be in the Hall of Fame. He was dominant, one of the best, if not the best, first baseman in baseball for about a decade. Um, he was the face of the Yankees. You know, even with all of the back and forth between Steinbrenner and Dave Winfield, I think most Yankees fans look back at the 80s and consider that to be Mattingly's team um, for any number of reasons. Uh, but I think Mattingly's career in the larger scheme of Yankeedom, and I think what makes this a unique conversation is that the Yankees' history is really wrapped in a similar context to teams like, in the longer history, the Lakers, uh, the Celtics, uh, in some regards, the Green Bay Packers in the NFL, more recently the Patriots with with the Tom Brady era. Uh, But the Patriots were so bad for so long before Brady got there. I kind of discount them. Maybe the Dallas Cowboys is a better example where you, you look at comparing guys like Romo and Dak Prescott to the Troy Aikmans and Staubachs of the world. When you consider, you know, a, a comparison of LeBron and Lakers history to Kobe and magic or Paul Pierce, even to guys like Bill Russell and Larry Bird. Um, when you've got franchises like the Cowboys and the Lakers and the Celtics, I, I think the Yankees are in that class where, your legacy is defined more by rings than MVPs, top fives, home run titles, home run derbies. No one cares that D Brown won a slam dunk contest for the Celtics. He's an afterthought, right? Nobody cares about the big deal that Dominique Wilkins signed in Boston. He didn't do squat there. Um, it's about the rings. And I feel like we're, we're this conversation, we are at a crossroads in the career of Aaron Judge where in the history of the New York Yankees, he will either be remembered in the same light as Don Mattingly, yep, yep, as a great that. Yankee, mm-hmm. or he'll be remembered as the captain of the post-Jeter era Yankees. And obviously the, the, the next contract will, will provide potentially some longevity for him to look at one or more rings in New York because obviously with what they've already obligated themselves to with Garrett Cole and the way that they spend money and they're aggressive I I think that they're going to stay in this conversation for the foreseeable future but it's very interesting when you wrap it in the historical context of what the Yankees mean to baseball to sports in general and what his legacy will ultimately be and I think that's where we're at right now it's a legacy play And when you talk about Aaron Judge's next contract, I think both Judge and Cashman have brought up that legacy idea. That word has come up. I think you're spot on that a ring changes everything for Aaron Judge. And it removes him from the Don Mattingly's and Dave Winfield's in Yankees history and and doesn't certainly put him in the Jeter conversation. But he's got a chip. And a chip in New York means more. It just does does oh yeah man and and you know i i think that there there are other teams in baseball where you can be great and not be defined by world series rings clayton kershaw is a great example of that the dodgers have the same pedigree that the yankees do not as many championships but you still look back at their 
pantheon of greatness. And when you start talking about who do you put on a Mount Rushmore for the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, it's damn near impossible to get it down to four people. I think with the team, even a team that's old like the Reds or the Cubs, it's a little bit easier. But when you talk about greatness, legacy, and tying everything together, I think what Kershaw did, he wasn't necessarily, his career would not have been defined by winning a World Series. He did, and it's great that he can add that to his Hall of Fame plaque. But I think for a guy like Judge, it just means more. And that's where I think this postseason will be enormous for him from a contractual perspective and a legacy perspective because he can either be Don Mattingly or he can be Jeter. And the hard thing in baseball, more than any other sport, is that one guy can't do it by himself. Pitcher's got to push. The other eight guys that get to swing the bat that day at least from a starting lineup perspective, have to do something around him because he could go out and hit three solo jacks and lose the game 5-3, and it doesn't mean a damn thing, Paul. But he's the leader. I think we both agree that he is the face of the franchise right now. So he's a guy that's got to drag that ship forward, and they've been in some doldrums here since the 1st of August. He's continued to do his thing. But those around him haven't done theirs. And I think that it's, it's, it's very unfair to have an individual legacy defined by such things. But with the Yankees, it's different. And he just can't get away with being a really good player for a decade with the New York Yankees and not getting anything to show for it in the postseason. Yeah, and on that note, and absolutely love how you – brought in the uh, the different comparisons here as far as, you know, Judge as a player, like comparing it to Mattingly's uh, years and, and you know, up, uh, up against, you know, the, the the 70s Yankees and the 90s Yankees, the championship teams, you know, and that's the thing. You could sit down at a bar and you can – everybody will run off all the names from the 70 team, Chambers and, you know, Munson and Guidry, and it goes on and on and on. You could sit there and then you could sit down with – uh, somebody else, and you could run through all the, all the players that played in the '90s teams that won the championships, you know, and go from there. And you, you bring up the '80s, and you, you're scratching your head, aren't right, Dave Winfield, and you know who's managing, and Lou Pinella, and all that stuff. You know, it's it's blurry because there was just there was no success there. Another guy that I want to bring up too is look at Aaron Boone here, um, fifth season coach in the Yankees, right? Uh, you take out the COVID um, shortened season there. Uh, he's got 30 games left here, and he needs 11 wins for a 90, another 90-win 90 season. That'll be four 90-plus, couple of 100-win seasons here uh, as a manager of the New York Yankees. Just incredible success since he's been here, except the ring. And if they and don't that's, win... That's all that matters, Paul. Nobody remembers Yeah, no, Paul exactly. O'Neill played for the Cincinnati Reds, right? And he was great in Cincinnati. But he, and he won he's a ring there, tremendous though. Tremendous team. But he, he is remembered for that brief end of his career run with the Yankees. So for me, it's kind of a, it, it's an interesting proposition when you look at Judge in that historical note. Because, I mean, he, I mean, again, Paul O'Neill was... Terrific. He, he, had, he, he won a ring with the Reds in 1990. And then he came to New York, and he was in the playoffs every single year, and he was part of four championship teams with the Yankees. But no one remembers 
that he was part of that World Series winning team in 1990 because he's a Yankee. All and anybody that, wants to talk about is Paul Neal's a Yankee. Yeah, and, not and that's how the pinstripes are different. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. just different. Look, I mean, you know, in the context of uh, Aaron Judge, he's going to be fine one way or the other. You know, if it's a, as far as a money thing, that's not going to be an issue. You know, and I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I guess the, you know, Aaron's doing his job as far as his productivity this year, as, be, as far as being a presence. But as baseball goes, it's a, it's a full lineup, man. Everybody's got to be in there. Every, I mean, watching the Yankees go through this just incredible team slump. It's a team slump. And they just can't get out of it. It looked like they got out of it for a little bit. There's 30 games left. They still could get out of it, I guess. There's so much talent in this team. But Aaron Boone now has to shift his managing styles. He has to change things up. He, the, the, the roller coaster ride on the straight and narrow is over. We got some curves and some turns. And, and Aaron Boone now, as far as his legacy as a manager for the New York Yankees, who to me is a damn good manager. I like the guy, but it's probably over for Aaron this year. Uh, as far as moving forward, uh, and and that's not if they decision. don't win. Yeah, he, like, yeah, but he that guy is out there every day, and he's he's putting the guys on the field. I mean, there's a question here or there of a pinch hit, but I mean, you know, with 30 games left in the season, it's a long baseball season. Give the guy a pass here and there. Um, but, I mean, he's he's just got to be scratching his head when you guys got, got, like, hicks, and these guys just won't hit the goddamn ball. And then, you know, the, the, your, your guys that you're always looking to, DJ LeMayo is struggling, you know, Rizzo's injured now. I mean, you just, you got Donaldson here, you got Falefi, you got Torres. I mean, you got just people struggling up and down the lineup. Benintendi, you, you lose Carpenter here. Stanton just can't get his groove back yet. So there's there's a lot of things. You got, you got mental errors on the field here. You got mental errors uh, in the outfield. You got... Um, just weird pitching situations that have been coming up for him. There's so much going on. But Aaron Boone here, like I said, he's out there. He's at the top of the dugout every night. He's, he's trying his damnedest. And if this season continues to fade out, you know, it's a shame. Because there's so much goddamn talent on this team. There's good quality people on it. And they just can't. And you know what? The Tampa Bays and the Toronto Blue Jays and the Houston Astros, they don't give a crap. And they're coming. No, and they, are, and they are coming well, hard. And that, but again, I mean, look at great that you brought up Boone because I, look at Girardi, right? He he had he, he won, had, baby. He a nice, he's got a, nice a ring. He's got a, he's ring. Got a ring. And so, and, and, and myself right. and tons of Yankee fans still love that guy, right? And and mostly because, like I said, he got us a ring. After Joe Torre, right? He was, Girardi's got that legacy. Played for Torre, and then he takes over the team, and they win a championship. And Joe will always have that. And the fans will always have that with him. And that season, uh, those couple of seasons that we have him. And Aaron, like I said, I love the guy. I mean, most people would turn around and say, would you like five, six, you know, 100 win seasons? Or would you rather be the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Arizona Dynabacks? And you know, you, you know. But when the when you're talking about the Yankees, it's like oh, we got to win, we got to win, you need a champion, you need a ring. It's the history. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. Last thing too, I went to the uh, the Dodgers Mets game the other night and uh, in City Field. You know, and just from a baseball's perspective, and yes, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. And man, there's just 
you know, I hate to say this about City Field, but there's just there's no soul in that stadium. It's just there's no soul. Now I'm a kid who grew up and went to Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium had a soul. There was just something about it. There was something great about Shea Stadium in addition you could smell to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just, I don't know, man. It was just the design. And then there was just, you know, there was great characters and players th- throughout the years there at Chase Stadium. But there, it, was, there was a totally different ballpark. Man, I mean, and I've been I've been to a couple of baseball stadiums, too. I've been, I mean, Coors Field has got a, it's got a soul. It's got a personality. It's at the Rocky Mountains. It's, it's just got, it's just the way it's designed. It's it's beautiful. But, man, City Field, I mean, the, the actual ball field is absolutely gorgeous. Full marks to the team down there, uh, the grounds crew there. That's a gorgeous baseball field. But, man, it's just this gray box. Gray, it looks like a gray triangle around it. And it's just advertisement banners being blasted in your face. And it's just, I was like, whoa. But anyway, um, you know, well, the Mets that, won a know, championship there. It won't matter. You get right? blast <laughs> in your face. And then you get 103 blown past you like Edwin <laughs> Diaz did last night. Uh which I, I think we'll spend a little time enjoying uh, the resurgence of Edwin Diaz's entrance music at some point here on the show. Hey, I got to uh, say something. I was, you know, I was at the game the other night, you know, and the whole, you know, Timmy Trumpet there and and Diaz, and I think it's great. They're making a, a big thing about it. But, you know, I, 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 ha- I hate to tell you, I think the guy's lip-syncing the horn playing. I don't think he's actually playing. And I've seen it live. And then I see the team. Everybody's going crazy about this guy, Timmy Trumpet, you know, who I think is from Australia, something like that. I don't think he's really blowing in the horn, folks. I think it's pre-recorded, and it's a lot of air horn going out there. We're, we're getting a little Milli Vanilli at City Field. Yeah, I, I, I hate to tell you this, man, because it's, it's, it's a little too perfect. There's no, there's no breath in between it. It's just, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a gimmick here. The Mets is using. I mean, you got Mister and Mrs. Met there. You know, that show going on at City Field. You'll never see that at Yankee Stadium, I'll tell you that much. But, uh, no, anyway. I mean, then they should because <laughs> they're making enough money on $13 beers at Yankee Stadium that they could have a mascot. But you don't need No, we don't want a mascot. Picture. We don't want got, a mascot. We don't want a mascot. And you know what? I would make a joke about believing in fake things if the old ownership group was there in the Ponzi scheme. But we'll just let that one go because. <laughs> You're talking about going. the Mets, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, and we won't even start with James Dolan. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's, um, it's good that you brought that up because I think aura is the word with the Yankees and I'm with you. Like I've, I've been in probably 20 ballparks and they're, they're places that you walk in you're like, ah, okay. And I think one of the knocks on guaranteed rate field in Chicago is that it was very boring when they built it. They took a cookie cutter concrete block and they've done a lot to improve it over the years, the 30 years since they opened that place. But it's still very, it, 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 it's not as sterile as it was, but it's, it, it doesn't have oh, an aura. I miss Comiskey Park, man. Oh, right. I, I hate, I really do hate the new whites. When I remember when they opened it up, I just like, ugh. And it, like Paul, it, it's it's night and day better than it was, but it's still very bland. Uh, there's no aura, and you walk into Dodger Stadium, uh, even the new Bush down in St. Louis. Uh, there are ballparks that you walk into, and there's an aura. Yeah, uh, I think, or even not necessarily an aura. You don't have to have the long history; just a little personality. 
does. Camden Yards has personality. Yep. Uh, the, the ballpark down in San Diego has personality. Gorgeous. The one in San Francisco is drop-dead gorgeous. For Pirates me, number have one. one of the best stadiums in the league. Gorgeous. Absolutely. And, and, the team and, has no soul, but their talk, ballpark yeah. has soul. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still selling Roberto Clemente to people, and they should. Um, and we'll spend some time as we get close to Clemente Day talking about him, but it, I, I think that the, the Mets accepted less than they maybe should have there. Much like uh, the White Sox could have gone for broke, uh, the White Sox could have gone with the design for Camden Yards, but they went with what they got, and Camden went there. And I think that it works out better at Camden than it would have on the south side of Chicago because you've got all of the Babe Ruth stories about the factory and right field and everything else, and it just. But there's See, something City about Field aura. to me. City Field to me, it's like a football stadium. It's like they put a baseball field in a football stadium. The outside, beautiful, clean. It's a great walk-up. Um, but, man, the inside, it's it just sitting up there, and, and we had gorgeous seats. And it's just you look around, it's like it's just you feel like you're in a football stadium. You're at a game. You're not at Yankee Stadium. You're not at Dodger Stadium. You're not mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field. Or even, you know, whatever they renamed Miller Park, American Family Field, whatever the hell it is in Milwaukee now, you're 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 at a game. You're you're at the Mets game. You're not at City Field. Like a Safeco Field. I mean, the Astros, uh, even their field is, is gorgeous, right? What Minute Maid Park? That's an absolutely gorgeous ballpark. Um, I've been on the field uh, where the Mariners plays. It's Safeco, right? Or is that the yeah yeah? Uh, I mean, they read it, but we'll call it Safeco. Yeah, it's because, an absolute gorgeous ballpark just encapsulate what that whole vibe is there in Seattle. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's beautiful, you know? Um, and you, you got to get a Toronto. Of course, feel, I mean, jeez, man, I got to get a winner in there again. I mean, it's just a gorgeous ballpark, too. But anyway, I think and, you know, and, and I can't wait for them to, to get after it. And, you know, now that Julio Rodriguez has signed his 7 to 17-year contract out there, um, which God bless him for getting the bag, um, no, I think the Mariners are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Out they're coming, man. They, they are coming. Told you before the season, and you know what? Bless them for doing it. I hope they get in because that is a great sports town, and I hope they rub the NBA's face in it for yanking the Sonics out of there and sticking them in Oklahoma City. Um, but anyway, other sports. Uh, Paulie, let's, uh, let's put a bow on this bad boy, and let, let's talk about who people should add to their fantasy lineup. Now that we've got some call-ups happening in the month of September. I'm in, man. I got the pencil out. One name for me stands out this week, and a lot of people have jumped on this bandwagon. He's owned in 44% of Yahoo leagues already. So if you're in the 56 and he's still available, go get him. Gunnar Henderson in Baltimore. One of the top prospects in one of the top organizations in baseball. Love the name Gunner. Uh, reminds me of one of my swim teammates in high school who uh, sadly passed away fighting in Iraq. Uh, but you know, this kid has hair for days. I mean, the salad is just all over the place, just reckless arugula flying everywhere. Got his first jack in the bigs. Got his first stolen base in the bigs. He's three for eight to start his career. Uh, only one strikeout so far, so he's making some contact. He's got a 375 on base to go with. 
the 375 average being three for eight. But I think this is a kid that's going to bring a little excitement to Baltimore, some skill. And look, the ball, here's, here's the fun thing about Baltimore, Paul. They're in a playoff race, and they're not supposed to be. And these kids are playing naive baseball like they don't know that they're not supposed to be there. And I love watching teams that say, screw you for thinking we're supposed to roll over and just take the L because somebody else has got playoff aspirations. These young guys, Henderson, Rushman, they're just they're fun to watch. Brendan Hyde, again, I, I've, I've been banging the drum for a couple weeks here. He should be the American League Manager of the Year. But when you can bring up a kid like Gunnar Henderson who can rake who's going to play all over the field. You know, if you saw the Orioles tweeted the video that his minor league manager shot at him getting told that he's going up, and he was sprinting through the clubhouse when they grabbed him because he was going to pick up a couple bacon cheeseburgers that he'd ordered. Uh, poor <laughs> kid had to eat a lukewarm meal after getting told that he's going to the show. But uh, they were talking about, you know, the plans to get you some second base. They move them all over the place. Uh, so he's going to probably have multiple position eligibility by the time this season's done. If you're in a keeper league, grab him and stash him and hang on to him for next year because he's 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 a good one, and I think he's going to be one of those spark plugs that's going to help Baltimore do their darndest to make life hell for Toronto and Tampa and even your Yankees and everybody else that wants to hang around in that wild card race because they're young, they're fun, and they don't give a crap that they're not supposed to be there. And like Seattle... This is a team that's just getting experience. And if they don't make a wild card this year, you know what? They're going to end up with 30 wins more than they did last year. One of the biggest turnarounds that baseball's seen in a long time. And they didn't go out and buy it. Right? This is the model that you've got all of these teams telling you that we're going to burn it down and suck for a few years and be good when we come out the backside. That's what they're doing in Baltimore. And I told you in the preseason, look, it's coming in Baltimore. Stay with them because it's going to be fun to watch at some point. Right now, it's really fun to watch. Gunder Henderson's going to be one of those guys that's going to be really fun to watch for a while in Baltimore. So if you need to add someone to your fantasy lineup here for the last five weeks, go get you Gunner Henderson in Baltimore. He is this week's Line Drive Radio fantasy ad of the week. Good stuff. Who in your books, folks? Yeah, he's uh, an exciting uh, baseball kid and just, hey, look. Baltimore's winning. Uh, they're having some fun down there. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the league's, you know, oldest teams, man. It's uh, got some great players that played in that organization throughout its uh, history. It's it's uncanny that they haven't won more championships out of that city. So, look, the future looks bright. Gunner and the rest of those kids leading the way. And just, you know, again, you look at the AL East here. It's like, Really? We're going to have to deal with the Baltimore Orioles now in a couple of years. But, uh, you know, bring it. It only makes everybody else better. So, And we all laugh at Boston because they're old, they're expensive, and they're looking up at everybody. Yeah, well, they're going to be coming for the Yanks. They know they could do some damage. Oh, September. It's not looking, not looking too easy right now for the Yanks. Step up, boys. Get it done. All right. So before we... Turn on the sprinklers. Shut down the concession stands. Lock the gates and head on out into the parking lot. It's time to say thank you to all you fans for tuning in and listening to us here at Line Drive Radio. Make sure you follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. And uh, join me and Tab on the Twitter, because that's where we hang out. Say hi to us. 
tell us what's going on. And um, hope you guys have a great weekend. Okay. So, Tab, with that said, uh, you know, I'll pass it back to you. Say goodbye to the folks. It's Labor Day. Don't work. Play baseball. Go, go throw a ball around in the yard. Watch the games. Maybe at night after you watch the college football this weekend. But enjoy, hopefully, beautiful weather. Oh, by the way, Tab, congrats to Hawaii. Congrats to Hawaii a little bit. Got to have to get that. Oh, absolutely. And they're a 37-hour flight home to celebrate. <laughs> That's a flight Wade Boggs would want to be on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good stuff. But as Tab says, keep on playing ball. Enjoy the Labor Day weekend, everybody. Have a good time. We're back at it here next week. As the storylines continue to change. Oh, boy. Need some wins in the Bronx, baby. Starts tonight against Tampa Bay. Real boys got to show up. All right. And best of health to Tony LaRussa. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. And as always, play ball! At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.